Romans chapter 10. We're going to read verses 1 to 5, and, and as, you're, as you're getting into your notes this morning, uh, let me give you a first couple of blanks before we read the passage. Remember, Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 11, right in the middle of the book that deals with, with, with Gentile salvation, the book that is the, the most important book on the doctrine of salvation, God takes three chapters and deals with the nation of Israel in the midst of all that he's talking about. And so Romans chapter 9 for us, let me remind you, it, it just contextually deals with Israel's past as it relates to their history and their walk with God. You need to know that. It, it, the first few verses tell you that, that Romans 9 specifically is dealing with the nation of Israel. Romans chapter 10 is going to deal with Israel's present as it relates to the gospel. And as we get into Romans chapter 10, we're going to see that God... God says that the works and the righteousness of the law, the Old Testament law, are no longer sufficient to be right with God. And, and there were a group of people, the nation of Israel, the Jews, that presently in Paul's day were rejecting the gospel, still trying to cling to that Old Testament economy. And so Romans 10 is going to deal with Israel's present situation, but in the midst of those passages, some of the greatest truths on salvation uh, come from it for you and I. As a matter of fact, if you're saved, you've probably heard some of the verses out of Romans chapter 10 when somebody shared the gospel with you. And, and so it's really powerful. Romans chapter 11 deals with Israel's future as it relates to their restoration. Because God is, is going to restore the nation of Israel. He's already restoring them physically. We know that they have a, uh, they're, they're, they're back in their land and they have a capital and they have their city. But God is also going to restore them spiritually. Uh, and that's a promise from the word of God itself, Romans chapter 11. So this morning, Romans 10 verses 1 to 5, uh, let's read these five verses. It says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, and here's the quote, that the man which doeth these things shall live by them. Okay, so the message is entitled this morning, Righteousness Rejected. And, and the reason why is because as we get into Romans 10, we're going to learn this whole chapter, and, and really the whole book of Romans, has to do with righteousness. What does righteousness mean? In your first blank in your notes this morning, look, righteousness defined, and I think it's in your notes, righteousness simply just means being right before God. I mean, it's being made right in the eyes of God. It's purity of heart. It's rectitude of life. It's conformity of heart and life to God's divine law. It's, it's being right. It's being just, being equal between each other and being right in the eyes of God. And, and as you study the Bible and you compare Scripture with Scripture, the word righteousness is found 33 times, 33 verses in the book of Romans more than any other book in your New Testament. And so, again, if you're a student of the Bible and you say, I wonder what righteousness is, and you do a word search on it, the most, the most prominent uh, presence of that word is in the book of Romans, which has to do with the doctrine of salvation. This is how we're made right in the eyes of God. And, and, and Paul is going to clearly distinguish between the, the Old Testament economy and the Old Testament law 
the Mosaic law for righteousness, and then the righteousness of God, which is found in Jesus Christ. He's going to make a very clear distinction between the two. And so, and so we've seen righteousness defined. And then secondly, we're going, to, we're going to learn from this text that religion is not righteousness. We're going to learn today that religion is not righteousness. And, and, and we're, going to, we're going to gather that from the first three verses of the text. Remember, Paul is praying for Israel that they might be saved. He says in verse 2, I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. And he even says that they're ignorant of God's righteousness. They're going about to establish their own righteousness. Now listen, what Paul is saying about the nation of Israel could actually be applied to a lot of different people in this world. There are religious people in this world that aren't not, they're not necessarily Jewish. Does that make sense? They're, they're, the world is full of religious people. And, and, and again, whether it's, whether it's Muslims, whether it's Buddhism, whether it's Hinduism, Catholicism, Mormonism, there's a lot of religion in this world. And the truth is, as we look at the nation of Israel and we look at religion in general, there are some similarities Obviously, the gods that they worship are different, and, and there's a different focus and a different means of salvation. But when you look at religion in general, there's two characteristics that are common. Number one is zeal. Religious people are zealous. They're zealous, man. Religious people are fervent of spirit. They're full of excitement of mind. Uh, that same word zeal can also be translated fierceness. And you know, man, depending on what religion you're talking about... The manifestation of that zeal may look really different. Some people that are zealous, man, they, they may ascribe to certain traditions or customs. They may eat certain things and not eat certain things. They may dress in a certain manner or not dress in a certain manner. They may spend their time doing this instead of that. There's a zealousness in religious people, even to the point, and, and again, listen, even to the point of... of eliminating those that don't agree with them, right? If you study history, you know that history is full of religious people that are so zealous of their religion, whatever their religion is, that they go to the point of taking the lives of other people that don't agree with them, right? That's zealousness. That's, that's a zeal for God and a zeal of God. These are, these are zealous people. Really, and I'm not saying that's all religions, but I'm saying that but we've seen it historically, right? The end result of some zealous religious people many times is taking the heads of people that don't agree with their religion, with their doctrine, or their God. So you can be zealous and be wrong. Do you understand that just because you're zealous in your religion, it doesn't mean that you have the right religion or, or, or worshiping the right God. Paul is addressing specifically the nation of Israel, but again, he's saying that you guys are still zealous in your worship of God, but you're doing it according to the Old Testament standard. And, and we'll see in the, in the text in just a few minutes that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. The point he's trying to make to Israel is, and again, we can make this application broadly to all religions, but we can also make it very specifically to the nation of Israel you can be zealous and wrong. You can be zealous and lost. As a matter of fact, Paul himself 
as it relates to the nation of Israel, he was zealous of God, and yet he was a lost Pharisee. And we know, we know that from Acts chapter 22, when, when Paul, in the book of Acts, there's several times where Paul gives his testimony. You know, he stands before kings, and, and he shares his conversion experience. And one of the things that he says, Acts 22 and verse 3 through 4, he says, I'm barely a man which was born, uh, a, a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, and was taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, listen, and was zealous toward God as ye are all this day. And again, now Paul's converted, but he's talking about his life before he met Christ. And he's talking to a bunch of Jews, and he says, you know what, I was zealous just like you. And he says in verse 4, here's the extent of how zealous he was for God. I persecuted this way unto the what? Paul was a religious zealot from the nation of Israel. He was, he was a religious zealot of the Jews, so much so that he felt like what he was doing and bringing Christians to death because they believed in Christ instead of the Mosaic law, he believed what he was doing was right, and yet he, he was wrong. He was wrong. He even, he even delivered them into prison, both men and women. In Acts 26, again, he's sharing his testimony. He says, Verily I thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which things I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. You talk about a zealous dude. I'm telling you, man, this guy bought his religion hook, line, and sinker. Do you understand what I'm saying? He, was all, he wasn't Baptist because he actually lived out what he believed. You take offense to that, maybe, maybe that'll encourage you. He was zealous. It's funny how those of us that think we have the truth aren't really zealous with the truth that we have. This guy believed what he was doing was right, so much so that, that he was okay seeing other people. And again, we, we, don't, we don't deal with people like that. We don't commit people that don't agree into prison. We don't see them put to death because they disagree. But religious people do. Galatians chapter 1, Paul says, For you've heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many of my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous, exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father. Paul was the Pharisee of Pharisees. I mean, if you, if you were to say, okay, who is the most extreme of any particular religion? Paul was the poster boy for the Jews, man. He, he was public enemy number one if you weren't a Jew. Does that make sense? He, 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 he was so zealous Philippians 3 and verse 6, concerning zeal, that's what we're talking about, I persecuted the church. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, we'll talk about that in a minute. Paul said he was blameless. So, so there was a righteousness according to the law in the Old Testament economy. We'll talk about it in a second. Paul said, just by the way, I'm zealous for my God. And concerning this righteousness in the Old Testament, I'm blameless. And that's a mouthful. But he believed it. And he was right. The second characteristic of all religions, but that also applies to the nation of Israel, is, is not zeal, but the, the second characteristic is ignorance. 
It's ignorance. And the reason why is because this religion, the Jews in, in Paul's day, are just like many other religions, full of zealous people that are ignorant of the truth. So your zeal doesn't make you right. As a matter of fact, it's probably proof of your ignorance. Paul says of the Jews, they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. In other words, and again, specifically we're talking about the nation of Israel, but generally speaking, all religions, have, they may have zeal, but man, they're ignorant unless they believe the Bible. They believe the Word of God. There's one God. There's one means of salvation. Just because someone who's Buddhist or Hindu have a zeal for their God doesn't make them acceptable in God's eyes. It's zealousness, but it's ignorance. And, and, and so the lack of knowledge is ignorance. You can have zeal without knowledge, but it's pointless because it's not based on truth. And so Paul is pointing to, the, to specifically the nation of Israel that they are ignorant of their own unrighteousness and their need for salvation. And again, Paul includes himself in this example. Because in 1 Timothy chapter 1, when, when you know, we've already seen that Paul was zealous, man, for the Lord. He was a Jew that was, man, he was the extremist. He was also ignorant. And he even calls himself ignorant. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, Paul writes and he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me, for he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it how? Ignorantly and in unbelief. You can be really religious and have a real zeal for your God, whatever your God is, and be ignorant. And be ignorant. And let, me, and let me just say that there are people that are gathering together on a Sunday morning that, that might have the brand Christian, and they may even have a zeal, quote-unquote, for God, but they're ignorant of the knowledge of the Word of God as it relates to Christ, as it relates to salvation, as it relates to righteousness. Do you, under, do you understand what I'm saying? Just because it's called Christian doesn't make it Christian. There's a knowledge from God's Word that reveals truth. And so Paul is, 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 is using this illustration to distinguish between what we'll talk about next. Number one, the righteousness of the law. And, and, and so he's dealing with the nation of Israel, and what he's trying to help them understand is, listen, in the Old Testament, that system of being right with God was different then what's in the New Testament? That's the point, right? Uh, look at verse 5, the righteousness of the law. Verse 5, for Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth these things shall live by them. And so what you need to know is, uh, well, there's a lot of things that you need to know. That's why you have a lot of blanks, by the way, because I feel like there's a lot of things we need to capture from this passage. Number one, we need to realize that the law had a beginning in the Old Testament. And God, God used a man named Moses. Does it, you guys remember Moses in the Old Testament, right? Moses in the ark. I've just seen if y'all are awake this morning. I just wanted to make sure you were you, Amen, brother. He, he built that ark. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Read that Bible. Okay, anyways. Ignorance, ignorance is bliss. Right? Okay, anyways, look. 
the law had a beginning, and it was through the, the man named Moses, right? Uh, the law is always synonymous with Moses and the Mosaic law. When Paul quotes Romans 10 and verse 5, and he, and he quotes how Moses described the righteousness of the law, he actually is quoting Leviticus 18 and verse 5. And so it's on the screen. The Bible says, here, here's the direct quote that Paul is using. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. Okay, and so Paul is just making it very clear. The Old Testament economy meant that you had to do some things to be right with God. That, that's the Mosaic law. You had, don't do these list of things, the Ten Commandments. If you break any of these... Here's the book of Leviticus. If you lie, cheat, steal, then, then, then you have to bring an offering. It's the whole book of Leviticus. You have to bring a, a lamb. You have to bring a bullock. You can uh, bring a grain offering. All of those things. Even if you sinned and didn't know you sinned, and then you found out later that you sinned, there was an offering for that, for a sin of ignorance. I mean, it's so spelled out. They had to do that. That, that same quote of Leviticus 18 is found in Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 29. And it's found again in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 12. The Bible says the law is not of faith in Galatians 3.12, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. And many of us, listen, because we're New Testament Christians, right? We, we hear teaching about the law, the Old Testament Mosaic law. And I don't know about you, but in my mind, at least as a, as, as a young Christian, when I heard about the law, I automatically thought negative, is anybody, did anybody else do that? Do you think, okay, I'm, I'm the weirdo, me and Colin, which I knew that. Me and Colin are kind of the weirdos. You, you think about the Old Testament law, and you always think about negative, 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 and then New Testament grace, positive, 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 right? Okay, well, well, I want you to understand that the Old Testament law actually carries some of the same attributes that God himself carries, in other words, when we look at the Old Testament law, we, we have to understand that the law revealed God's character and God's nature in a way that man could see and read and understand. It, it revealed his holiness. By default, it also revealed man's sin because, because we fell short. Okay, so, so let me give you the similarities, right? And we'll do this very quick. I want you to understand that the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, number one, was holy. It was holy. Romans 7 and verse 12 says this, Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. And again, when you read those descriptions of the law, wait a second, God is all of those things. God is holy. God is just. God is good. As, as a matter of fact, Leviticus 11 and verse 44, right? I, the Lord, am your God. Uh, you shall therefore sanctify yourselves. Ye shall be holy for I am holy. So the law revealed the character and nature of God Almighty. Number two, the law is spiritual. Romans 7 and verse 14. It, Paul writes and he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. And we know from John chapter 4 and verse 24 that God himself is a spirit. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So the law is holy, God is holy. The law is spiritual. God is spirit. Number three, the law is good. Not bad. It's good. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8, but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. 
And then Jesus said in Mark 10 and verse 18, Why callest thou me good? There's none good but one. That is who? God. So it is interesting, and, and listen, we need to learn that because before we turn our nose up at the Old Testament law, we need to realize that that is the very revealed character and nature of God. I mean, don't do these things. Do these things. If you do the things that you're not supposed to do, it requires you to do something. Bring an offering. Bring a sacrifice. Bring, bring shed blood. Uh, the, the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament. All of those things were what were required. And so here's the next key in your notes. What was required under the law was works. It was works in the Old Testament. So, so listen, there are some people that would say, well, you know, those guys in the Old Testament, they just operated under faith, and they were looking forward to the cross. And we operate in faith looking backward to the cross. And, you know, that, that sells books in our, in our Christian culture, but there's really not a lot of Bible that backs that up. Because Leviticus 18 says, if a man do these things, he shall live in these things. What was required was to do the things that God said to do. It, were, it required God's keeping God's statutes and God's judgments, and, and I don't even like using the word, but Old Testament salvation is different than New Testament salvation. It's different. It's absolutely different. In the New Testament, you, you have to believe what God says about Jesus Christ, and you respond in faith to the gospel. In the Old Testament, you had to believe what God said back then and then do it. You had to do it. And, and, and again, some people struggle with that concept that it's different, but it is different. Read the Bible. Let's not be ignorant. Uh, there's a great example in 2 Samuel 22 concerning David, King David. David was under the law. David understood the law. He understood the righteousness that was in the law. Um, you had to be right concerning the law in the Old Testament to be right with God. David said in 2 Samuel 22, verses 21 to 25, The Lord reward me according to whose righteousness? My righteousness. Now, now you don't want to say that today, by the way. If the Lord rewarded you according to your righteousness right now, and my righteousness right now, bro, we would be incinerated. We don't have any righteousness. And they didn't either. But what they had was a system under which they were to operate. David says, you know, reward me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands hath he recompensed me. For I, here it is, I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God, for all his judgments were before me, and as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. I was also upright before him, I have kept myself from mine iniquity, therefore the Lord hath recompensed me according to my righteousness, and according to my cleanness in his eyesight. And again, don't, don't let the Bible say more than it means, but don't miss what it means. David operated under the Old Testament law. And he said, I'm keeping God's statutes and God's covenants. I'm doing, I'm, doing, I'm doing the best I can. I'm as right with God as I can be under this system. Does that make sense? And, and, and so what was required in the Old Testament was a system of works. But here's the last point under this point of the righteousness of the law. By the way, that is what made people right in the Old Testament. That's what made them right. 
And, and again, we know, if you've been around this church for any time, you know that an Old Testament saint, when they died, they did not go directly to heaven. They went to a place called Abraham's bosom, Luke chapter 16, until Christ died on the cross uh, to, to pay the, the sin penalty for, for their sin and, and for the sin of the entire world. So here's the point concerning this. There was a righteousness according to the law, but that law had an ending, and the ending is Christ. It's Jesus Christ, and we need to understand that Christ was born on this planet under the law. You need to know that when Christ was born, he was born under the law. Galatians 4, verses 4 to 5. It says, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, listen, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Do you see that Christ was born under the Old Testament economy? He was born under the Old Testament structure. The, the Mosaic law was in effect when Christ was born. Does that mean that as soon as Christ was born, the law ceased? The answer is no. Because he had to redeem us that were under the law. He had to live a sinless and perfect life. He had to fulfill the law in his own life because no other man could do it. Because we're all sinful. We're all broken. We would all, if we lived under that Old Testament economy, have to offer sacrifices and come to the temple and look forward to the Day of Atonement because we messed up. But Christ is God in the flesh. And so listen, when you read your Bible, those first five... first. First four books of your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, listen, they are in your New Testament, but the New Testament doesn't begin until Christ's death. So all of your gospel accounts up until the crucifixion are still under the Old Testament economy. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 16 says this, for where a testament is, Old Testament, there must of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament of force after men are dead, otherwise it has no strength at all while the testator liveth. Christ lived under the law. He fulfilled the law. He didn't come to abolish the law. He is God who, who is the law. And, he, and he, he fulfilled it in his life. And our redemption to get out under from the law came at the cross. Do you understand that? Do you understand that the power of the cross... Christ is the end of the law of righteousness, the righteousness of the law. He's the end of it. In other words, you can't work in any form or fashion to be right with God now. You can't do your best. You can't be religious enough, zealous enough. You can't know enough or do enough. Christ is the end of the law of righteousness. The only way to be right with God now is through Christ. And so listen, this redemption, remember we read it in Galatians, Christ came to redeem us that were under the law. Ephesians chapter 1, the redemption comes at the cross. The redemption is a purchased possession. It's a price that had to be paid for sin. Ephesians 1 and verse 7, it says, In whom we have redemption. Through his birth? No, through his blood. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Colossians 1 and verse 14, in whom we have redemption. How? Through his blood. Just a side note, modern versions of the Bible take away the blood out of the redemption. If you go to Colossians 1.14, many of them just say, in whom we have redemption, 
the forgiveness of sins. But your redemption wasn't because of Christ's birth. Your redemption was through his shed blood. Without the blood of Christ, there is no redemption. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 says this, For as much as ye know, ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold. I mean, you can't pay your way into heaven. Your vain conversations uh, received by the traditions of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. And so our redemption comes through Christ. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. It says that again in verse 4. The problem with the nation of Israel is the same problem religious people have today. They want to establish their own righteousness. They want to do what they think is enough to be right with God. Now for the Jew, for the nation of Israel, they had been under that system for a long time. And, and then when Christ came, who fulfilled the law, they said, no thank you. We're going to keep doing it the way Moses taught us. Well, it doesn't work. Because the only person that could fulfill it, that could accomplish it, and, and that could redeem anyone out from under the law is Christ. And so we see from the nation of Israel's example, there was a righteousness of the law in the Old Testament economy, but now, but now, because of Christ, he's the end of the law. So now we have the righteousness of God, and here's the next blank. We have the righteousness of God, righteousness of God by faith. Look at verse 4. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. To everyone that believeth. And so what is required now to be, since Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, what is required to be right with God? Well, it's faith. That's it. And so in your blanks, look, what is required under the system of grace now? What's required is just faith. It's just believing that what Christ did is sufficient. Because it is. Whether you believe it or not, it's sufficient. But it doesn't apply to your life until you believe it personally. And so in this system of grace, what's required for salvation to be right with God is faith. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through works. That's not what it says. Through the Old Testament law. That's not what it says. Through keeping the sacrifices. That's not what it says. By joining a church or being baptized or doing good works or giving money or being religious or praying prayers or praying a rosary or chanting things. It doesn't say any of that. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Faith, your faith, activates God's grace in your life, and your faith is not a work. Some people, some people are kind of jacked up in their theology in the 21st century. That's a, I need to stop. Okay, so, but some people would say that faith is a work. Well, the Bible disagrees. Because he says you're saved by grace through faith and not of works. The verse proves that faith is not works. Do you understand that? And, and, and so if you run across somebody that doesn't know their Bible, uh, you know, apologize and pray for them because they don't have a clue. Faith is not works. And the faith is in the finished work of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30 says that Christ himself is righteousness. You know, the whole point of what we're talking about this morning is how to be right before God. 
1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who is of God, is made unto us, Christ is made unto us, wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Paul says in Galatians 2, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain, because Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. And if he's not the end, then why did he die? If the Old Testament system was the permanent system, and again, it had a place, it had a purpose, it was real. And people had to operate under it. But Christ is the end of it. And you have to now realize that, that it's about Christ. Philippians 3 and verse 9, Paul writes and he says, And being found in him, in Christ, not having mine own righteousness. Do you remember we read 2 Samuel, David said, Hey, God's going to give me according to my righteousness. You won't say that now. You don't operate under that system. You operate under this system. And, and Paul says, you know what? Uh, I want to be found in Christ not having my own righteousness because it doesn't work. That doesn't work anymore. Which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by, by faith. Romans 10 and verse 10. For with the heart man believeth. You ever, you ever paid attention to the words here? It's not on the screen, so I guess you can't pay attention to it. Romans 10.10 says, With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And that's crazy, man, because it's simple. It's easy. You can't work for it. You can't attain it. You can't establish your own righteousness no matter how hard you try. You know, the danger is, the danger is in any church, and this church included, the danger is in a place like this, that we still have people that are religious. And what I mean by that is, even in a Baptist church, people will come to church, people will do religious things, they'll say religious things, they'll, they'll serve in religious ways, they'll pray religious prayers, they'll do all of those different things, thinking that doing those things make them right before God. And I'm going to tell you, listen, it is not uncommon for Baptist churches or any other church to still have religious people in the room. And at the end of the day, you have to come to the place where you realize the only righteousness that's available is in the person of Jesus Christ. It's believing what he has done through his perfect shed blood on the cross of Calvary. And that is, the, that is the moment of truth for every one of us. And, and what we see sadly, what we see sadly in the nation of Israel's life as Paul is dealing with this in Romans chapter 10 is, and here's the last blank and we'll, we'll finish up, what we see is a rejection of God's righteousness. We see a rejection of God's righteousness. Okay, and I want you to go back to verse 3, and, and I think it's on the screen. Look what it says. Paul says, but they, and he's talking about Israel, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Okay, and so what we need to understand is they're still acting in zeal and ignorance. They're trying to establish their own righteousness. And look at the last part of that verse. They've not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. Um, for the record... 
God says that they were to submit themselves. In other words, he's not going to force them to submit. In other, in other words, God will not... By the way, anybody watch MMA? It's okay if you confess your sin. It's fine. Okay. Uh, back back uh, in the day, man, when we lived in Decatur, I, I'm joking about it being sin. I used to love UFC, man. Uh, Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz. I mean, when those dudes were kind of like hitting the... And the MMA was really kind of taking off. I mean, it was underground for a long time. And then it started hitting like pay-per-view. And so, uh, you know, Saturday nights at the Suge House was usually... Uh, a lot of grilling meat, and then uh, when the fight came on, man, uh, it, was, it was just a bunch of dudes in the you know, living room yelling at the TV. It was awesome, screaming and acting like a bunch of idiots. And so MMA is really a cool sport because you know, there's a technique in MMA, mixed martial arts, called submission holds or submission moves, and it's where you get a guy, an opponent, in a position to where basically he has no move to get out of that, and, and he either has to tap out he has to submit. He has to willingly admit defeat or the dude that's got him in the hole just kind of keeps going. And he could break his arm. He could choke him out. He could knock him unconscious. He could break a leg, break an ankle. The point is, even in our real world example, submission is something that you have to do yourself. It's a choice that you have to make. God will never force you to submit, but he gives you all the reasons you should. He gives you all the reasons you should. You know, some people are whacked out in our culture of Christianity. They would say that you don't have a choice. You don't have a will to respond to the grace of God. That's not biblical. Paul himself says that the nation of Israel, their problem is they're not submitting themselves to God's system of salvation in Jesus Christ. They're not submitting themselves. And just like the Jews, you have a choice you have a choice to receive what God has done for you in the person of Jesus Christ. You have a choice to submit yourself under the righteousness of God, which is by faith. Just like in MMA, man, listen, you don't have to tap. You don't have to tap. Those dudes that are in that octagon, they don't have to tap. They might walk out with a broken arm. They might walk out with a broken leg. They might not walk out at all. It's something that they have to do. And the gospel is something that we have to do. We have to respond to what God has said. Romans chapter 10 and verse 16. Uh, we'll get to Romans 10, 16 in about three months. But anyways, look at, look at verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report, right? The gospel has to be obeyed. It has to be responded to in faith. 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 7 and 8. It says this, And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, it tells you right there why you should submit. Because sin has to be dealt with. And you'll either, you'll either let Christ deal with your sin or you can deal with it yourself, and I don't recommend that. Here's the last point in your notes, but I'm not done. Look. When you reject the gospel, just like, like the nation of Israel, rejection of the gospel literally means that you want to establish your own righteousness. That's what it means. People that reject, when they hear the gospel of the grace of God, when they hear that, listen, that Old Testament system doesn't work, there's no rules and standards and sacrifices that you can do, when, when they hear that and yet say, no, I'm going to do it my way, what you are literally saying to God Almighty 
is that Christ is not good enough for me. And so I'm going to work my way to God. You know, man doesn't go to hell today because he's a murderer or a fornicator or an adulterer or he curses. Man goes to hell today because he rejects what God has done in the person of Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? There's salvation and forgiveness for every single person that will obey the gospel, that will respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The perfect Son of God was made under the law. He kept the law to the letter. He lived a sinless and perfect life. He gave His life a ransom and an offering for your sin and for my sin and the sin of the whole world. And somehow, some way, some people think that they can do better than that. God says that it's ignorant. And I'll go a step further and say it's impossible. Because Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. You see, the truth is that sinful man always thinks that he's better than what he really is, right? Uh, I remember when I was lost and, you know, unsaved and, and not responded to the gospel. And if you were to ask me what kind of guy I was, pretty good. And I would list all the things I did right. You understand? Made good grades, you know, was respectful and, you know, whatever. Drove the speed limit most of the time, whatever. And, and I, would, I would acknowledge that I did some things that were sinful for sure, but, but my good outweighed my bad. You ever heard that statement? My good outweighed my bad? Can I just tell you, if you got any bad, that outweighs it all. The sin outweighs it all. And, and sinful man that wants to establish his own righteousness rejects what Christ has done because he'd rather do it his way instead of God's way. I think it's very interesting, and I'll close, I'm done. But listen, I think it's very interesting that God uses these words, submitting themselves to the righteousness of God. You know what that tells me? The real issue of the gospel, the real issue of righteousness, the real issue of Jesus Christ, you know what the real issue is? It's authority. The real issue is authority. Because you have to choose to submit to authority. The real issue is authority. Who's going to be the authority? And God says, listen, I have forgiveness available, redemption available. I have a Holy Spirit that I'll seal you with. I have the Word of God that can guide you and lead you. I have a body of Christ that will give you identity and fellowship. God offers all these things. But ultimately, he says, you have to submit yourself to my way. The issue is always, always, always. It's always authority. It's always authority. So how do you know what you're really trusting in for righteousness? How do you know that you really are trusting in the finished work of Christ? What you believe in is is what you're fully relying on for your salvation. In other words, I would would say it like this. Uh, I would ask you, what are you counting on for righteousness before a holy God? And if your answer is anything but the finished work of Christ, then, friend, you're trying to establish your own righteousness. Well, I believe that story of Christ, but here's what I'm doing to hopefully be right with God. You're trying to establish your own righteousness. I I, I believe that thing that Christ did was important and it's right and all those different things, but I'm I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to be better. I'm trying to come to church more. I'm trying to read my Bible. I'm trying to pray. I'm trying to give. Are you you trusting in that to be right before God? You're you're trying to trust in your own works. And God says that's ignorant. Don't do that. It is interesting. Religious people 
and, and I'm going to use the wording very precisely, religious people and saved people do many of the same things. Religious people read their Bible. Saved people read their Bible. Religious people come to church. Saved people come to church. Religious people give tithes and offerings. Saved people give tithes and offerings. Religious people serve. Saved people serve. Religious people identify with God personally. Saved people identify with God personally. The difference is one is relying fully on their works to make them right before God. And one, and by the way, that's the religious man, who if he dies will spend an eternity in hell. And one is resting fully and believing faithfully in Christ's redemption through his shed blood. That's the only way to get it. That's the only way to get it. And, 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 so, and so we have to come to the place, and, and if you're watching online or in the room, listen, you have to answer for yourself the question, what are you counting on for righteousness? Have you come to the place where you realize that your righteousness is insufficient? That you can't do it. You can't be right enough, do right enough, say the right things, do the right. You can't do anything enough because Christ is the end of the law of righteousness. Have you come to that place personally? And I, and I dare say, and again, not to be disrespectful, but I dare say in this room and, and watching online, there are people possibly that have gotten really good at religion but have never settled the issue of who Christ is and, and the righteousness available in him. Does that, does that make sense? And so I want to encourage you, listen, if you've never made that decision, submit yourself today to the righteousness of God by faith. Please do it. Please do it. Please do it because that's what God wants for you. And that's what we want for you too. Let's pray. Father, we love you.